Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Chiju. Coming up in this edition, the United States and Britain have launched strikes from the air and sea against Houthi military targets in Yemen. South Africa has taken the Israel-Hamas conflict to the United Nations top court, and police who went on strike in Papua New Guinea have returned to duty, but a state of emergency remains in the country. We begin in the Middle East. The United States and Britain have launched strikes from the air and sea against Houthi military targets in Yemen. The strikes are the first since Houthi started targeting international shipping in the Red Sea late last year. The Houthi leader warned on Thursday that any U.S. attack on its group would not go without a response. At the United Nations, the Russian delegation says the UN Security Council will hear a briefing on the latest strikes after Russia requested a meeting. Benji Haya has more from Washington D.C. Major development in a region that has been engulfed by tension since the outbreak of the Israel-Hamas war, and now a statement from U.S. President Joe Biden confirming that American military forces, together with the United Kingdom and the support of Australia, Bahrain, Canada, and the Netherlands, successfully conducted strikes against a number of targets in Yemen. He says used by Houthi rebels to endanger freedom of navigation in the one of the world's most vital waterways. Reference there to the continued attacks. That we've seen from Iranian-backed militants in Yemen, the Houthis, against ships trying to operate in the Red Sea. The United States have, in the past couple of weeks, said that there would be consequences for that, and we've seen those consequences: strikes against Houthis carried out by planes, ships, submarines, raids on several Yemeni cities, not in and around the, the the Red Sea, literally on Yemeni territory. Dozens of sites were targeted, we're told, including logistical hubs. Defense systems and weapons storage locations. Joe Biden's statement ends by saying these strikes, targeted ones, are a clear message that the United States and our partners, he adds, will not tolerate attacks on our personnel. I will not hesitate, he says, to direct further measures to protect our people and the free flow of international commerce. That was Benji Haya reporting from Washington. South Africa has taken the Israel-Hamas conflict to the United Nations top court. It accuses Israel of genocide in Gaza, and is demanding emergency measures to suspend Israel's military operations in the region. The attacks have killed 23,000 Palestinians and displaced more than 80% of Gaza's population. Johannes Plechberg reports from the Hague. An unprecedented case at the UN's Court of Justice, which could have an impact on the ongoing Gaza war. For two hours, South Africa presented its allegations, asking for a suspension of Israel's warfare in the Gaza Strip. For the past 96 days, Israel has subjected Gaza to what has been described as one of the heaviest conventional bombing campaigns in the history of modern warfare. According to Palestinian officials, Israeli forces killed more than 23,000 people in Gaza. Israel, on the other side, says Hamas are terrorists who murdered over a thousand Israelis on October 7. During the South Africa hearing, hundreds of protesters gathered outside the court in The Hague. We are not against Israel, but what they are doing. Is the worst, worst what we have ever seen, what the world has ever seen, and it should stop right away. 
It might take years for the court to determine a final ruling. However, it is possible that the court will decide on a provisional ceasefire within just weeks, which, however, could have no effect as the court's rulings are not enforceable. That was Johannes Pleschberger outside the International Court of Justice in The Hague. Turning to the Americas. In Argentina, the latest government figures show that the country's annual inflation soared over 200 percent in 2023, the highest in 32 years. Joe Richards has more. Not since 1990, in a period of hyperinflation, has Argentina seen such high levels of inflation. With the official figures released on Thursday afternoon, Argentina has overtaken Venezuela with the highest inflation rate in Latin America. The National Statistics Institute reported a 25.5% increase in prices in December alone, taking the annual figure for 2023 to 211%. These are the first inflation figures for Libertarian President Javier Milei, who won his election on the promise of taking hard decisions to stabilize the economy through unprecedented austerity measures. From day one in office, Millet warned that inflation would rise in the early months of his presidency. In his first week in government, Millet devalued the peso by 54%. The government also removed price controls on many products and services. These two factors largely explain the spike in inflation in December, doubling the monthly double-digit inflation left by the previous government of Alberto Fernandez. That was Joe Richards on Argentina's soaring inflation. Turning to Africa, in Sudan, the hampered delivery of aid has become more difficult after the wall expanded in December. The conflict now covers almost 50 percent of Sudan, with the rapid support forces in control of areas in the heart of the country. Aid organizations are facing more challenges compared to the first eight months of the conflict, as millions face an increasing threat of starvation. Naba Mohedin reports from Port Sudan. Zainab Samani is one of millions of Sudanese who have been displaced by the ongoing conflict. She has had to move three times in search of food and shelter. I've been displaced from Darfur to Khartoum, then Madani, and lastly Port Sudan. We've been trapped for months without food, shelter, or water. The situation is really bad. About half of Sudan's 44 million people. Are in need of food aid. Most of them in Khartoum, Kordofan, and Darfur states. The extension of the conflict into previously safe regions like Al Jazeera state is making the situation worse. The expansion of the war to Madani has affected all states, as Central Sudan is the heart of operations, linking the country from all directions. Kadarif. Sinar and Port Sudan are also impacted by the huge influx and unsafe passages to all states after Madani fell. Roads to villages located east of Al Jazeera, including Shaganil in Khartoum State, have been cut off, with traders using alternate roads to bring in supplies. This has created a shortage in basic food commodities, and the prices have reportedly tripled. Most local and international aid agencies have suspended their operations. The logistics of providing assistance is proving a real challenge since the fighting broke out. That is Naba Muhadin reporting from Port Sudan. In Oceania, Papua New Guinea has declared a state of emergency after rioting and looting in the capital left at least 16 people dead. 
The police have returned to duty after going on a strike over pay cuts, which the government blamed on a computer error. But it doesn't mean the end of the problem. Paul Hawkins explains. The capital, Port Moresby, burning on Wednesday night. Shops and cars set alight. Supermarkets looted. The police on strike. Earlier in the day, officers joined other public sector pay workers, demonstrating against a 50% pay cut, which the government said was caused by a computer glitch. These protesters didn't believe it. Some of them tried to break into Parliament. Our looters took advantage of the situation to attack shops. Several people were killed, many injured, including two Chinese nationals. On Thursday, businesses were cleaning up and counting the cost. Forty-eight years of independence. I can't recall in my lifetime seeing this level of devastation in, in a single day event. It's just senseless. It's unacceptable. And you know, we just need to have a really good hard look at ourselves and challenge to how we got to this place and what we're doing to make sure we come out of it pretty quickly. That's a job for Papua New Guinea's prime minister. I encourage all our citizens to step up today and give respect to your country one more time. Encourage your neighbourhood that yesterday did happen. We acknowledge. We look into how we could correct. We look at, at how we would bring responsible people to face a full arm of law. Police were not at work yesterday uh, in the city, and uh, people resorted to lawlessness uh, up and about. So not all people, but uh, in certain segments of our city. Police are now back on duty, and 1,000 troops are on standby while a two-week state of emergency has been declared. The、rising unemployment and inflation have fueled public dissatisfaction, meaning the tense situation isn't just tech-related. That was Paul Hawkins on the riot in Papua New Guinea. In Asia, police say two people were killed and a dozen more were injured as a grenade was thrown at a marketplace in the Afghan capital Kabul on Thursday. Zamiyale Abbasin has more from Kabul. According to Khalid Zadran, a Kabul police spokesman, a hand grenade was thrown near Dashtiburchi city center, a crowded market. The wounded were delivered to hospital soon after the incident, as the hunt began for the perpetrators. Meanwhile, the Kabul Surgical Center for War Victims, also known as Emergency, said it has received seven injured people from the attack. According to a statement by the hospital, four women, two men, and a child were among the wounded. It also confirmed that this is the third blast from which. It has received injured people since the beginning of 2024. ISKP, an offshoot of ISIL, claimed responsibility for a minivan explosion in the eastern part of the Afghan capital earlier this month that killed at least five people. Magnetic bomb explosions and grenade blasts have been increasing in Kabul recently, which has made Kabul residents fearful of another unfolding tragedy. That was the Mayalai Abbasing reporting from Kabul. Here in China, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is set to kick off a four-nation Africa tour. Egypt will be the first stop. Experts in the North African country say the visit comes at an important time, given Egypt's official membership within the BRICS group and its mediator's role in the Gaza conflict. Abdel Amarouki spoke with scholars about Cairo's expectations. Foreign Minister Wang Yi is expected to receive a warm welcome as he comes to Cairo, marking the country's official BRICS membership. 
China was one of the strongest supporters of Egypt to join BRICS. The five bloc members believe that Egypt will contribute to the group's economic power with its important strategic location and abundant manpower. Recently, the bilateral relations between the two have been growing rapidly and moving towards a future of even stronger ties. On a bilateral level, there is great political and diplomatic coordination between the two countries in the Security Council and other international organizations like BRICS. Great hope that this expanded bloc will not only play an important economic role, but also a diplomatic and a political role globally. Wang's visit also comes at a time when the war on Gaza enters its fourth month without a clear vision on ending it. The war is spreading tension in Lebanon, Iraq, and also leading to attacks on shipping vessels in the Red Sea, which is threatening a major interruption to global supply chains. Containing the expansion of the war in Gaza will definitely lead to talks between them, and they will seek ways to push for a permanent and lasting ceasefire. China has an important initiative to hold an international conference to discuss the future of peace in the region. This suggestion must be supported by all partners in the future. China is seeking to bring an understanding to the most significant event in the Middle East, which affects global peace and security. Therefore, the Palestinian crisis will lead the negotiations in Egyptian-Chinese talks. China holds strong to a two-state solution. The world after the Russia-Ukraine crisis changed. It became a multipolar world. China, as a strong economic and political power, seeks to enrich efforts for world peace and security. China's vision for peace in the Middle East has always been identical to that of the Arab world. That is for Palestine to have its own independent state on the 1967 borders with Jerusalem as its capital. Wang Yi is expected to meet Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, Foreign Minister Sameh Shukri, leaders of Egyptian and Chinese business communities, as well as Arab League officials. Under the leadership of President Xi Jinping and President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, the bilateral ties between China and Egypt have been upgraded to comprehensive strategic partnership. Trade and investments have been continuously growing since reaching record figures. In 2024, these ties are expected to grow even further. Wang Yi's visit confirms that this vision is on track. Now this Abda al-Maruki reporting from Cairo. Now recapping today's headlines, the United States and Britain have launched strikes from the air and sea against Houthi military targets in Yemen. South Africa has taken the Israel-Hamas conflict to the United Nations' top court. And Papua New Guinea has declared a state of emergency after looting and rioting in the capital. And that's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Xi Zhi. Thank you for listening.